Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings. This is Hugh Ballou. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Every week, we interview a fascinating person that has some wisdom experience or something really unique to share. So we can, as nonprofit leaders, we need to work on ourselves, grow our skills, grow our awareness, and listen to others who are, have a passion about a topic, have done some important things. Um, and today is no exception. Um, I have a, a, a dear new friend here, Mitzi Perdue, who is coming in from somewhere very near me geographically. I'll let her tell you where she is. But Mitzi, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. And would you tell people a little bit about who Mitzi is? Oh, I'd love to. And I'm, I'm so honored and happy to be here with you because what you do is so close to my heart. Uh, and as for who I am, gosh, what do I, I'm not sure where to start, but I'll plunge in. Uh, my background is that my late father was the founder and president of the Sheraton Hotel chain. And I should have said co-founder. My uncle uh, was a co-founder with him. And my late husband was in the chicken business. Frank Perdue brought his company from no employees to 20,000. But how this relates to nonprofits is both families, which are very long lived, believe that philanthropy is the glue that keeps a family together and that keeps, keeps it going across the generations. So I'm passionate about A, a belief in philanthropy and B, a belief in that I want to be part of it. Love it, love it. So philanthropy is the, the love of humankind. And so um, you have a passion for a, a lot of different things. I'm imagining, I'm just beginning to, to understand what they are, but you have a passion uh, about human trafficking and how we can get together and, and make an impact to, to stop it. So talk a little bit about how did you get acquainted with this problem and, and get involved in this? I've got to approach this with all the humility in the world because almost everybody I come across who's in this field has been in it for five, 10, 20 times longer than I have. I am a newbie. And as I say, it seems to me the appropriate approach is humility. But I got into it in, let's see, March of 2019. And on March 11th at two o'clock of 2019, I heard a lecture on human trafficking. And the speaker made me see things that I couldn't unsee. Because before then, the word human trafficking, I mean, they were just sort of words like, you know how the words New York doesn't make you think of New York or New England doesn't make you think of England new, it's just New England. Well, human trafficking didn't really penetrate my mind until I heard this lecture and it changed my life and it changed it enough so that I want to spend the rest of my life doing everything that I can to combat what I think must be one of the world's worst atrocities. And here's what the speaker said. His name was Paul Hutchinson and Paul Hutchinson, his, his specialty is rescuing children who, are being, who have been sex trafficked. Well, he showed as part of his lecture, the one that began at two o'clock in March of 2019, 
he showed images of children who were just about to be rescued. But here's what I couldn't unsee. You know, the, the story I'm about to tell does have a happy ending, but the children didn't at this point know that they were gonna be rescued. And you could see on their faces, terror, fear, depression. And these are kids, I'm gonna guess that they're 10 or 12 years old. And I didn't count how many, but let's say there were a dozen of them. And as, as Paul Hutchinson continued his lecture, and also as I've studied and heard in the years since, those children, if they hadn't been rescued, had a life expectancy of less than seven years. They would be, they would die from, let's say, disease, overdose, or they might even be murdered for their organs. I mean, what could be worse than, than little boys and girls who have that kind of fate ahead of them? So I'm sitting in the audience listening to what Paul Hutchinson has to say, and I'm as moved as a person can be because, as I said, I couldn't unsee the suffering that I saw in those faces. So I started thinking, I'd really like to write a great big check to, to Paul's uh, Child Liberation Foundation. But I'm sitting there in the audience and I face something that I bet a lot of other people face also, which is if you have a new cause that you really care about and you're a philanthropically inclined person, you write a great big check to your new charity, probably means cutting back on a charity you already support. And one of the ones that I just love with all my heart and soul is the food bank. Now, do I want to cut way back on them so that I can give more to uh, combat human trafficking? And yeah, I'm sitting there in the audience thinking, no, I don't want to cut back on them because you know, I, I care about the food bank and, and you know, I, I suspect that they really counted my donation. So I don't want to cut back, but I do want to help. And then I had, I, I told you that, you know, my life was changed seeing these children who were being trafficked and soon to be rescued. But my life was also changed by a thought that I had, which is I own a desk that's probably at least 400 years old. And we believe it belonged to a de' Medici cardinal. And it occurred to me, if I sold that, it could bring attention to trafficking and it could also enable me to write a great big check. And I'm thinking, gosh, I don't want to part with this thing. It's part of my inheritance. It's been in my family for a very long time. But then I thought, which would give me more joy knowing that it saved people from just unspeakable misery or the pleasure I'd get from owning the thing. And guess what? Really clear cut, I would sell it. But that led me to another thought. Might there be other people in the same situation who don't have spare cash lying around, but would really like to do something about human trafficking? Might they be willing to sell high value property in order to get both awareness for human trafficking and to be able to donate funds to combat human trafficking? Well, those two factors being aware of the problem and thinking of a possible way of helping combat the problem, totally life-changing for me. And I've been talking too long. Forgive me for monologuing. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm spellbound. This is, this is 
it's an enormous problem but I'm sure many of us have no clue how big it is. Um, you want to give us an idea how big a problem this is, even just in America? Yes, I'd, I'd love to share what I've learned because, you know, I mentioned that my life changed that day and it immediately began kind of a saga of learning everything that I could about the problem. And here's some of the things that I learned. The United Nations says that there are more than 40 million people in human slavery. And to put that in context, that's the equivalent of every man, woman, and child who inhabits California. Uh, another factor, during the height of, of the transatlantic slavery horror, there were 15 million people. This is 40 million people. And you know, I'm not into comparing one or the other, but just to give you an idea of the extraordinary scope of this unbelievable, unbelievable catastrophe that's befalling mankind. And, and then another factor that's just terribly important, human trafficking at this moment is the second largest source of criminal revenue. Uh, the biggest one is drugs. And the third one, by the way, is uh, arms sales. But for every time human trafficking, I'm, I'm exaggerating, many times when human trafficking takes place, that money is kind of funneling up to cartel members who are raking in $150 billion a year. And, and human trafficking coexists with all sorts of other illegal and deeply harmful activities. Uh, including environmental destruction. It just, it, you know, it does seem to me the worst scourge that man, humankind endures. And as, as I mentioned earlier, my approach to this is humility because I don't know that much about it and I'm new at it, but I do commit to spend the rest of my life doing whatever is in, in my ability to do about it. It's an egregious sin. And it's, it's um, right under our noses. 40 million, that's worldwide, I guess, is it? Worldwide. Okay. And it's probably going on right under our nose, and we're totally unaware of it. Um, so yeah, how, how can we become more aware of, of the problem and how we can participate? But first, how do we become more aware of where it is? Okay. The, the easy answer to that is, how about everywhere? It's... I mean, I think you'd be staggered. If, if you live in a town of more than 10,000, I'm gonna bet there's trafficking going on right under your nose. The, and in the United States, there are three major hubs that I know of, uh, Atlanta, uh, Dallas, and New York City. And I believe New York City is the biggest, but uh, you know, different people have different opinions. But you know, the thing that keeps it going there, there are a whole lot of things that keep it going, but among them, there's something that I call the evil equation. And here's the evil equation. And I'm not using the word evil lightly. It is evil. The evil equation is that there's extraordinary profits to be made from it. And there's almost no chance of punishment. And that means, you know, extreme profits, no punishment, no deterrence equals unimaginable suffering. And let, let's get into the two parts of it and then let's get into what we can do about it because it turns out there's a huge amount that we can all do about it. Right. But, but 
But to, to start with the extraordinary profits, I mentioned the $150 billion. I mean, $150 billion? I, I think normal mortals can't even imagine that much money, but it's enough to bribe officials. It's enough to, uh, to well, the profit motive is enough to keep it going. But let's bring it down to um, figures that I think we can imagine. I mean, not easily, but, but a lot easier than a, whatever 150 billion means. I talked with a police officer, part of the vice squad, New York Police Department. I, th I think it's called Sex Crimes Division. Mm -hmm. uh, he told me that a trafficker, or let's call him a pimp to use a, a more common term, a pimp in New York City who has four girls in his stable a term that, that some use, not everybody does, but he has four girls that he's, that he's using, that he's trafficking. His income is easily a million dollars a year and it's tax-free and he gets every bit of it. And the girls are living a life of extreme misery. I mean, they might be trafficked 10 times a night. Some might even be trafficked 20 times a night. I mean, I heard one person describe what her experience had been that it was, and this is this is terms that the woman used, that it was a sexual conveyor belt where she serviced one man and then the next person came in. So it could be as many as 20 times a night. And so she's suffering and he's making a million dollars and his chance, and I'm going to give figures for the world as a whole, not just, not particularly New York, but the chance of an average trafficker doing jail time or any any serious punishment for this crime against humanity one in a hundred chances of, of being prosecuted wow. i mean so so you can see why the, why this horrible situation is just exploding because and again back to the evil equation extreme profits no punishment equals unimaginable suffering and if we could get into a minute for, I mean, we've, we've talked about the extreme profit and the almost no chance of paying a penalty. Uh, let's go to the extreme suffering. And by the way, the, the evil equation is kind of my term for this because that's how I see it. Yeah. Well, yeah. what about the extreme suffering? I've talked with psychiatrists. I'm gonna particularly mention a favorite of mine. His name is Dr. Robert Kenkro. He is the retired head of the Department of Psychiatry of uh, New York University Medical Center. I think it's called Langone Medical Center. And he has had, in his years of practice, he's treated both the, uh, the, the survivors of human trafficking and also the perpetrators of it. And he said, you know, I asked him, what. Let's assume it's a girl. And I, I think it's like 95% girls that we're talking about or females. Uh, I mean, those, those are rough figures, but it's, it's, if we're talking sex trafficking, it's more likely to be a woman than a man. Okay, so, and I wanna use the term girl because she's probably young. And this is what Dr. Robert Kankro told me to try to understand what, what this, and we're going to use the term girl, although you know it could be woman, it could be man. But what this girl is likely to be feeling, he told me, imagine the most depressed you've 
ever been in your life, maybe somebody you really love died. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a spouse. You, you just felt just unmitigated pain. That's what he wanted me to imagine. I mean, can you get heavier than that? Well, he said in his practice, the average person who comes in, well, he's retired, so I have to use past tense, that in his practice, when a patient would come into him for depression, a typical patient, not a trafficked patient, he said, and let's again use a woman, he said her, and we're not talking trafficking victims, we're talking you know, kind of garden variety depression that would come into his office. He said, under normal circumstances, that girl who's suffering from depression, the depression had a beginning, would have a middle, and it would have an end. He said, in the case of a girl who's being trafficked, it did have a beginning, but the middle, unless the girl is rescued, goes on until she dies. So imagine. You know, imagine the worst depression you've ever had. And you know, I, I can't speak to what your source of depression would be, but, but I'm thinking the death of a loved one. Oh, oh I mean, just, I mean, I, I can think of when my late husband died, uh, you know, I, I, I felt so much pain that uh, I'm against suicide, so I would never do it. But I can remember asking God, could you send a bolt of lightning in my way? Uh, I mean, so I remember what, what depression is like. And I'm thinking, good Lord, what must it be like if Dr. Cancro is right, and I have to assume that he is, that it's like that every single day for the person who's being trafficked. I mean, unimaginable suffering. And by the way, I mentioned reasons that, uh, say, a 12-year-old girl who's being trafficked why her life is less than life expectancy is less than seven years. Well, suicide is one of the biggest causes that will end her life. Wow. Suicide, overdose, disease, or organ harvesting. So, Missy, where do these girls come from? Where do they get them? You know, that's. I, I think the fastest answer is everywhere. The traffickers particularly prey on the vulnerable. So. I'm going to assume that anything that makes somebody vulnerable to like emotional distress, economic distress, uh, you know, whatever the vulnerability is, there's probably a trafficker looking for people just like them. So as an example, runaway children. I've read, and I can't certify this is true, but I, I can certify that there are people who say this is true, that within 12 hours of a child running away, there's going to be a trafficker who will find them. Wow. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that doesn't mean every child, but uh, the, the average for a trafficker to, I mean, say that, say the child, the, the young person is in a bus terminal. Traffickers like hang out there looking for children who look lost and, and they say, and I'm, I'm only giving, you asked where, where they come from and I'm giving you one example, but I'll give others. But say in this case, the runaway child, uh, the child is, is probably hungry and not sure where they're gonna spend the night. And this kindly older person comes up to them and says, you know, some kindly words, and I'm making this up as I go, but uh, do you need a place to stay tonight? 
could you use a really nice warm meal? Because I understand that you that you have a problem and let me help. And the, the, the kindly person changes into a trafficker as, as soon as they've got control of, of the young person. You know, another, the runaway children are a huge source, but you know, one of the big, biggest sources of all, uh, at, at least in, of, of young people, LGBTQ children are a favorite of, of traffickers because you know maybe they've run away, maybe they've had an unhappy home life. Uh, they, they're, they're just vulnerable to somebody who seems kind and offering them security and understanding. I've, I don't know if this is true, but I've talked with one person who felt that of runaways, that 50% of the LGBTQ people end up being trafficked uh, if they're runaways. Wow. But, but let, let me give you another example. And this, this is probably closer to home because in our audience, I mean, I hope and pray that, that the parents listening, uh, you know, I hope you don't have runaway children, but that's not the only vulnerability to them. There's, there's online recruiting where there's you know, one trafficker who, who may be like recruiting a hundred different children at once from his computer. And it could be her computer, but since the majority of, of the predators in this case who are grooming children are likely to be men, I'm gonna use the word he. Okay, that, that predator can be combing Facebook or any other social media, finding somebody who's maybe being bullied at school or having trouble with his parents, you know, in one way or another, a young, unhappy child talks with somebody who the child, and let's assume it's a 12 year old girl. Uh, and, you know, she's, you know, as, as she's maturing, her hormones are making her uh, maybe more vulnerable than she would have been a few years before or a few years later. Uh, she's having trouble with her parents. Um, Maybe she's having school trouble in one way. Maybe her parents are experiencing financial difficulties and they just aren't there for her. You know, in one way or another, she's got this great big need and the trafficker starts corresponding with her. And from her point of view, gosh, here's an older person, maybe three or four, year old, year, three or four years older, she thinks although probably he's in his 20s, 30s, and 40s, but that's not how he presents himself. So she finds this older person who understands her and who's sympathetic. And if she's mad at her parents, he'll say, yeah, you have every right to be mad at your parents. They shouldn't do that. And he just drives a further and further wedge. And then, I don't know how they're so good at this, but very often she starts to feel, you know, since she's understood, and loved, uh, she's willing to meet him. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was hearing of a case just recently, a police person told me about this, or a law enforcement man told me about this, that he said, you wouldn't believe how far these people can get even with a 12 or 13 year old. He said that he was personally part of rescuing a girl who was 13 years old, who stole her parents' car and drove 200 miles to meet the person who became her abductor. Wow. 
And yeah, her parents didn't have the slightest clue in the world that this was going on. And the only thing, you know, what, what alerted to them was, you know, at one instant, their daughter was gone and their car was gone. Well, of course, they're, you know, every red, red alert, red flag that could exist for them, you know, it came about and they contacted the police and the police were able to track the car and they got to the child, you know, this 13 year old little girl. I mean, how she even knew how to drive. You know, the, the parents were just bewildered that this could have happened. Well, the story has a happy ending because, you know, license plates can be tracked. And I guess the police have abilities that we don't even know about, about figuring out from phone calls, whatever was going on. Uh, now, they didn't explain to me ex all the details of how they could find this girl, but they did bef before her life was just completely turned upside down. But, you know, that I, I tell that story just to say, you know, if you're a parent, I think it's highly unlikely that your kid's going to be kidnapped. But it's, well, I've heard the, the man in law enforcement who's telling me this story said, it, you know, in his belief, 95% of the children who end up being trafficked, and this is his opinion, I can't swear that, that another person wouldn't give me a different view, but in his opinion, 95% of the kids who end up trafficked, they weren't kidnapped, no, they were groomed online. And he said that's growing, you know, he, well, it's just growing and growing and growing because of COVID-19, because people are spending more time online and they're more depressed and more lonely and um, all manner of speaking. This is Hugh Ballou. We're um, in the nonprofit exchange or we're halfway through an interview with uh, Mitzi Perdue today. And Mitzi, as you can tell, is very passionate um, about this topic of, of human trafficking. So um, we're, we're sharing this today because we support education of all people who want to impact the lives of others but we especially want to highlight the work that's being done through charities for for um, the work that needs to be done that is bigger than all of us we're able to do these because we have uh, some sponsors and our our sponsor for today is easy card if you want to know about the work of center vision leadership foundation there's so many facets we don't want to interrupt all this important storytelling to talk about all of them but you can have this on your smartphone so if you send a text to this number five digits six four six zero zero six four six zero zero and under the message just three letters ldr it's short for leader ldr and then you'll get a link back and you'll click and you'll have something that looks like our website, but it's a special, it's a special um, app, a virtual card. And right there, you click on the uh, nonprofit exchange videos, and there it is. Uh, win this fight, and here's the video of me showing you the the app on live uh, on on the app. So you'll have this virtual card. There's nothing to download, so it's not really an app. Six four six zero zero. The message is LDR. And at the bottom of that is how to have your own easy card. You can stay in touch with your tribe, your board, your volunteers, your donors. 
they ha you have their number, you send them a text, hey, we're having a gathering two o'clock on Tuesday. Um, this is what we're doing. People pay attention to text and you have that continuing relationship with your tribes. So Mitzi, um, you founded an organization called Win This Fight. So tell us a little bit about that and what was the inspiration behind that? Okay, the inspiration behind it is, uh, I think I've mentioned three times already that, that my approach is humility because there are people who are doing more and more experience. But it occurred to me that there's one thing that every single anti-trafficking organization could use and that's more funds, more money, and more visibility. And it occurred to me that I have a lifetime of fundraising. So I wanted to use the experience that I have in fundraising to help raise funds for other anti-trafficking organizations. I also wanted to raise awareness. And uh, I, let, I want to talk first about the name and then, and then I'd love to talk about some of the ways of raising funds and raising awareness for other anti-trafficking organizations. Please do. Thank you. Okay, the name. I started out, I mentioned that, uh, that I wanted to sell a, a de' Medici chest from we think the year 1600 uh, and have the money for that go to an anti-trafficking organization. But then I thought, wouldn't it be neat if we had an auction in which people who had very, very valuable items could sell them at this auction, get tons of publicity for the organizations where they wanted to donate the money. And, uh, oh, there's so many things I want to tell you all at once, but let, let's go with the name and then, then I'll get to some of the other things that I'm itching to share with you. The name, I was going to call it the anti-trafficking auction. Seemed good enough to me, a couple of weeks into it. I got an email from a guy, he's a neuroscientist, but within that neuromarketing, you know, what makes you decide that you want to buy something? Well, I'm all ears to hear whatever he had to say. I didn't know him. He, he heard me from, I guess, a podcast. And he told me, Mitzi, the name that you have, the anti-trafficking auction, it sucks. Why does it suck, Terry? And he answered me that you want a name that has a call to action and that is easy to say and that's memorable. And he said the problem with anti-trafficking auction is you don't remember it. It's no call to action and just doesn't fall off the tongue. But he said that he had actually gone to the trouble of finding a name that would be right. And he said, try win this fight. And I said, yeah, that's easy to remember. But I said, you know, there's, there's a little awkward part about it. The initials of it are WTF. And we all know what WTF stands for. Yeah. Or in case somebody doesn't, it's what the, and then it rhymes with luck. So it's, you know, it's, it's uh, you would think that that would be a great big disadvantage. But Terry said, uh-uh. That's, that's the biggest virtue of it of all, because names that are really memorable have a little bit of wrongness to them. Something that sort of jars a little bit and sticks in your mind. And he said, you know, you, you come across as somewhat classy, and for you to be saying WTF, that's memorable and it's appropriate. Because human trafficking is so horrible that, you know, WTF is, how about the right 
the right response to it. So that's how When This Fight got, got its name, whenthisfight.org. But, but for what When This Fight does, it is a 501c3. And the initial expectation was that we would get extremely high value items and that there would be an auction and it would have been 2021, uh, but COVID-19 interfered. We had donations for the potential auction that included such things as, how about one of the world's larger perfect emeralds? Mm. How about mm. dinner plates? And I'm, I'm imitating with my hands kind of the size of them. Now, why would dinner plates be expensive? Well, they belonged to Tsar Alexander II. They were, they were a birthday gift from his father, a Tsar of Russia. And we're talking, I think we're talking like 1822. These plates, there are dinner plates. There are 14 of them in the world and two of them are in museums in Russia. There are 12 of them that belonged to two brothers who hate human trafficking and they've donated them to this cause. And everybody who makes a donation gets to say which anti-trafficking organization gets the proceeds. Uh, so, so these two brothers donated these plates and there's a Russian oligarch who wants them. And so we know when the auction takes place that he's gonna bid on them. Another one, I, I guess my favorite of all is there's a man in Taipei, Taiwan. Uh -huh. And I spent last year before COVID-19, do I mean eh, the year before that, 2019, traveling around the world collecting just amazing donations for this super duper auction. And the biggest donation comes from Taiwan. I love Taiwan. This guy knew I was there because I was giving talks on it. And also in Hong Kong and China, but here I am in Taiwan, you know, he had read that I was there, invited me to have tea uh, in his home in Taipei. And there in the second floor, you know, he's elderly and we're sipping tea and he doesn't speak English. I certainly don't speak Taiwanese or Mandarin. So it's an interpreter who's, who's telling us what, what each other is saying. And he told me, you know, I'm, I'm going to guess he's in his 80s, so he's a very worldly, knowledgeable person who hates trafficking. Uh, he said, you're aware, aren't you, Mitzi, that the criminal cartels are going to hate what you're doing because to the degree that you have any success in raising awareness or raising money, you're a direct threat to them. Uh, they might murder you. What do you say to that? Well, I blurted out because I wasn't thinking of it. It just came out. I said, I'm 78 years old. I believe in this cause and I don't care. Well, the gentleman got up, this kind of frail elderly gentleman. He pushed himself up from the arms of his chair, pushed himself up and then walked behind his chair to a wall that had a curtain, pulled the curtain behind aside and there was a safe and I watched as he manipulated the dial opened the door of the safe reached in and scooped out what turned out to be a 69 carat perfect ruby 
Well, he explained to me that it belonged to a, Su, a Qing dynasty emperor and had been, it had been carved and polished 300 years ago. And in case you don't know, or it's hard to guess what a 69 carat ruby looks like, perfect by the way, I'm holding up to the camera a five carat ruby. Wow. A 69 carat ruby, it's, it, it reminds me of a golf ball. And I, I, I doubt if there are very many of these in the world. Yeah. And, and here he's donated it. Well, because of some of the extraordinary donations that have come in from people who, who like the formula of a giant auction with spectacular amounts of publicity because there are four public relations firms that have committed to publicizing it. PBS, Public Broadcasting, has already created a half hour documentary on the donations that have already come in. And uh, the idea would be like once a week to focus globally on, on the donations that have come in. But the, the, the trouble is, because of COVID-19, until that's in the rear view mirror, we don't know what's gonna to happen to the economies. And I'm not sure that it's a good idea to have the auction. The auction, by the way, the first year would be in, in New York. I don't wanna have the auction until I know that people will feel economically secure enough to bid up the prices for these things. Uh, I, I just was hearing this morning that the savings rate in the United States two years ago was 7%. It's now 30%. People, you know, people have got money, they're saving it, not spending it. And that's not the perfect time to have an auction. So I've put it off. I mean, at, at best it would be in 2022 and I hope it's 2022. But while we're on hold, uh, I, there, there's some other things that I'm up to. And again, the purpose is fundraising for other organizations because anybody who makes a donation of a high value item, they get to say which anti-trafficking organization they want it to go to. On the other hand, if they, if they don't, I've sure got some recommendations of, of organizations that I think do wonderful work. So your, your function is to be a part of the, um, the, the fundraising for other organizations who are actually doing, doing the work. So, so how do nonprofits um, collaborate to make a difference to combat trafficking? What are some of the strategic moves that any of us can do to put an end to this? Well, if, if they're going to uh, collaborate with me, there, there are two, there, well, there's a dozen things that they can do and there are ways that I can collaborate with them. Let me start with what I can do for them. I've already written, I think it's close to 70 or 80 blogs in which I interview the heads of different anti-trafficking organizations and ask, you know, what are they doing? You know, A, what's the problem? B, yeah, what's, what's the problem that they're addressing? And uh, B, how they're going about it? And C, what do they need? And so I write blogs and uh, the viewership of my, of my blogs, readership of my blogs, uh, tends to be other anti-trafficking organizations, but it also includes funders and it uh, includes some opinion leaders. And the, the blog isn't huge, but it is growing. And yeah, some amazing people like, the retired deputy editor of the Wall Street Journal was 
religiously read it because he said it really interested him. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, there, there are opinion leaders and influencers who read it. So I can, oh, and then something else. My blog, I am a professional writer by trade. For most of my adult life, I wrote an environmental column for Scripps Howard. It went to 420 newspapers and I was the most widely read environmental writer in the country for, for a period of years. So as a writer, that's, that's my strong point. I, I can write articles that will, will interest people who might not normally be interested. Uh, I mean, I, I, oh, this is boasting, but I, I don't think I got to be the most widely syndicated environmental writer without having some clue of what interests people. And so my skills from you know, 30 years of writing, I'm dedicating them all to writing blogs right now that will help raise awareness for other anti-trafficking organizations. And then those anti-trafficking organizations, they can use my, my blog, which will typically be 500, 600 words. I know that they use them in their fundraising letters. So I, I, can, I can get them publicity. And at the same time, uh, I can also educate people ever more about human trafficking. And I can educate myself because the blogs I've mentioned that I write blogs about other anti-trafficking organizations. Uh, you know, once it, I, I'm, I'm just happy to enlarge the number of people who know about them. Like, you know, the US government, Health and Human Services, they do spectacular things, but I don't think it's widely enough known. Or the Salvation Army, they do incredible things, but Again, I, I would guess that a typical person, you know, unless they have connection with the Salvation Army, wouldn't know it. Or there are universities who, who have study programs on counteracting human trafficking, and they all have stories and knowledge. Or like I mentioned, Bob Cancro and uh, you know, a psychiatrist who has deep knowledge of, of what perpetuates all this. Or people in law enforcement. There, there's so many aspects of it. And I love doing this because you know, it teaches me, but, you know, if, if you want to do fundraising, it really helps if other people know what you're doing. So, so visibility and fundraising, yeah, they're very closely connected. And I want to devote my time and whatever talent stack I have to helping promote the visibility. And, you know, visibility can and often does lead to fundraising effectiveness. Well, and, and people can vote with their dollars and they get as many votes as they want to. But, uh, but part of your work also is educating people on the problem and why we need to address it, I'm sure. Uh, it is, and uh, that's certainly what my blogs are about. On top of that, I've been in almost 100 podcasts this year. Uh, do I mean this year? No, in the last year. Yeah. Uh, I don't even mean that. I think since uh, 2019, I've been in almost 100 podcasts. Wow. And wow. And you know, anybody who wants a speaker on a podcast, I volunteer and I don't care how big you are or how small you are. Uh, I, I will do anything to, to spread the word about human trafficking. And then there's, I, I would love to talk about something else that I can do to help immediately uh, with fundraising for any anti-trafficking organization. You ready? I am. If they go to win this fight, is there a place they can contact you? Yes, absolutely. And since uh, since you've already mentioned 
uh, smartphones and, and using a keyword and a text too. Let me give you a shortcut to get there. Okay. Uh, one of the easiest is text WTF, so memorable, WTF to 51555. WTF to 51555, got it. And I'll, I, it's my utter complete intention to repeat that later on. Because so if, if somebody didn't have a, you know, a pencil and paper handy, uh, I, I will be repeating it. And people, I think, the, I think the WTF part's really easy to remember. It is rememberable. And people will be listening to this on the audio podcast. I may be seeing the video. So other, you were headed to talking about other ideas for fundraising before I- okay, th This is an idea that, that came from this wonderful woman. I've never even met her, but, but she volunteered this idea. I mean, she supports anti-human trafficking and she likes the idea of, of win this fight. Is this Rosie? Uh, actually, yes, yes. We are going to talk about Rosie. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let me do something that I shouldn't do as a guest, but I'm gonna ask you, in the world, my Rosie V. Rosie the Liberator. Now, during the <laughs> war, there was Rosie the Riveter, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I knew that wasn't going to be a tough question for you. <laughs> However, Rosie the Riveter, 75 years ago, she came out of her home and into the factories and changed the course of World War II. I mean, if, if the Rosies of the 1940, yeah, 1940s haven't existed. Uh, yeah, we might be living under fascism, but but women throughout the United States, and actually, I've, I've learned since that throughout the world there were Rosie equivalents everywhere. I mean, I've talked with people in India who know about Rosie the Riveter. Well, Rosie the Riveter and the women that she represented did change history. They prevented fascism from taking over. Well, this woman who thought of the idea I'm about to explain, her name's Margot, and I hope I pronounce it right, Dusterhaus? I've, I've, I've only you know, seen it by email. I mean, this, this is an idea that she came up with. She said, as a tribute to Rosie the Riveter, why don't we have a 2021 version of that and have it Rosie the Liberator? And here's how it works. It's both a fundraising effort and it's also a, an awareness effort. And the success of it already is, I know of, of well, tens of thousands of dollars that different organizations have raised for themselves by using what I'm about to describe. So if you're a fundraiser that has anything to do with human trafficking, here's a great idea. And not mine, I, you know, all the, credit in the world goes to uh, Margot. And it goes like this. Uh, you have bandana, which is reminiscent of, of what Rosie did. Uh, and, but you don't need a bandana for what I'm about to describe. But notice that I'm kind of looking sideways. I'm making a fist. I'm showing a muscle. You take a selfie of it and you post it on, on social media. And then let's, let's imagine that you, I think I'll keep wearing this just to remind everybody. Do that, do that. And um, I'm, gonna get a, I'm gonna get a shot of you wearing that and post it. 
So that's great. Oh, super. Let, let me do my Rosie pose. And Rosie wasn't wearing glasses, so. You got it? Let me do one more because I think just hold that pose so people, so you talk so I can grab it. Oh, but my, my mouth is going to look all funny. All right, and we'll do one more. So talk one more because the screen will focus to you. So we're talking about Rosie the Riveter. So you can uh, just say something and the, and the picture will switch to you. Okay, Rosie, Rosie the Liberator is, a, a, this is a campaign in which I invite you to invite other people to, that doesn't have to have a ban, bandana. The, the pose is, is what matters. So Rosie the Liberator, is kind of sideways to the camera and she's looking at her fist and she's making a muscle. And and if you listen to this on the audio podcast, you can go to the nonprofitexchange.org and you can find this episode and you can see I'll post some pictures of uh, Mitzi there doing doing Rosie the Liberator. So go ahead with your story. This is great. Okay, well uh, I told this to a guy, um, you know maybe a couple of weeks ago, who said, yeah, I totally endorse it, but I don't want to be Rusty the Rosie the Liberator. Um, you know, I'm fine with gender fluidity or whatever, but I don't want to be Rosie. He said, but I'd be Rusty the Liberator. So wait, for, for guys who want to be Rusty the Liberator, uh, you don't need a bandana, just pose sideways, make a fist and make a muscle, and then take a selfie of it or have a friend take a selfie of it and post it in social media and donate $5 to the anti-trafficking organization of your choice. And if you run an anti-trafficking organization, ask your members to do it. And $5 isn't a whole lot. Uh, and then invite two other people to do it. Well, as I said, that I know of tens of thousands of dollars have been raised for anti-trafficking organizations so far. And one of the beautiful things is there was a guy uh, who has connections with the police department, with his local police department, it's in New Jersey. And right now, I mean, it, it blows my mind, but if I go to winthisfight.org website, you can see a huge number of police being rusty the liberator. And you know, they, they post it to social media and, and they make donations. It just it, it just thrills me to see this taking off, you know, an idea that, you know, who would have thought of it? But Margot did. And it, it fulfills one of the goals of Win This Fight, which is raising awareness. Because, you know, if you've gone to the trouble of, and I hope you do, of taking this selfie of yourself, you know, in, in a rosy pose, you are going to be more aware of human trafficking. You know, every time you hear the word, you're, you're just gonna be more aware of it. And your friends on social media are gonna be more aware of it. Oh, by the way, when you post it, please have hashtag win this fight. And uh, one, one, one of the ways of getting to it, if, if you need more directions on how to do it, if you'll text WTF to 51555, that will take you to directions for how to upload photographs and what else to do. But again, if you had an anti-trafficking organization, tell your members in your newsletter about this and, and see if some money doesn't roll in and some awareness. So um, in our last uh, six minutes, five, six minutes that we have here, 
Um, oh, Hugh, I'm going to die. I can't stand it. The time went by too fast. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking about um, collaborative approaches, and that that's certainly one of them. But um, there, there, is there an association of, of um, trafficking, uh, anti-trafficking nonprofits, or how do, how do we know who they are? All right, the United Nations has, I'm, I'm going to use rough figures, but I think they have a list of like 2,000 anti-trafficking organizations. And I could easily, well, I mean, you can, you can get to it that way, or if you want an abbreviated way, uh, just do a search on, on the internet of anti-trafficking organizations and you know, or news organizations, like I think CNN has, has a list of them, but, uh, but you will, you know, it's, it's real easy to find anti-trafficking organizations in your area or the big giant ones. You know, we, we as a culture don't talk about things about sex. I mean, you, you've been very direct about your conversation about how children are abused. So it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about. However, we really need to talk about this because you know, we, we go to church and we close the door and we close the door on the outer world that we should care about. But until we know about it, there's not much we can do. So we need to, we need to talk to each other about what's going on, how children get into this, and how people are making an obscene amount of money, and they're paying off paying off somebody so they don't get caught or they don't get in trouble. So I think part of part of the work of collaboration is that we should have groups. And then you're a Methodist as I am. Um, there's the uh, General Board of um, Church and Society, which looks across the street at the Capitol building, um, and that's where churches get active in society. So that would be maybe that's a place uh, that if your church has a group like that, has a program like that, how are we as people of faith stepping up to make a difference in people's lives? And this is one that kind of slips by the radar because we don't talk about such things. Any ideas on how to get more publicity, how to get more action in our local? And you said any town over 10,000 probably has a has a, somebody that's a sex trafficker. So how do it, we- It might even be smaller. I mean, I've, I've heard of like rural areas that have it, uh, but, but for what to do, I'll tell you one thing. The subject is as difficult and dark as anything I can think of. However, and I hear this over and over again from volunteers for Win This Fight, or, or for that matter, for any volunteers for any anti-trafficking organization. And that is the darker the subject, the bigger the, I guess, do I dare use the word reward or satisfaction for combating it? Because you know, this is something that really matters. And I think everybody, every decent person wants to leave the world a better place. And boy, this is something where your effort can really make a difference. And I'd love to invite people who are listening to us who would like to volunteer for Win This Fight contact me, send me an email and you'll get, you know, the easiest way to get me is to text five, uh, WTF to 51555 and that will take you to my website. And there, there's a place where you can contact me. Tell me uh, if, if you have a talent stack where you're eager to have it used, let me know. On the other hand, let's suppose that you just want to do something I'll suggest things for you. And I, I make a commitment to every single person that if you volunteer for Win This Fight, I or the people who are working with me 
We'll turn ourselves inside out to make it a great experience for you. We want you to be working at your highest and best level using the skills that you have and the time that you have and the passion that you have. We will work to make it a great experience for you. And the experience, here's, here's how I dare say that I know we can deliver a great experience. And that is, you will get the satisfaction of knowing that you're making a difference and using your skills and talents. We want you, we need you, we'll make you glad you did. Oh, that is so great. So uh, um, I'm gonna do another sponsor moment and then um, does any other postscript you wanna add after that as we close this so good an interview. One of the ways that we support nonprofit leaders is we publish this magazine, uh, Nonprofit Performance 360 magazine. Here's our friend Frank Shankowitz who founded Make-A-Wish Foundation. He had an idea and wanted to change the lives of children. So our, our sponsor, well, none of our sponsors is actually the printer, but it's the mailhouse that puts this in people's hands. So another way we stay in touch with our tribe is we send um, word sprint is, is our mailing partner. We send regular updates to people with something they can hold in their hand. It's not always the magazine. It might be a postcard. It might be a letter. It might be a little card, but we stay in touch with them. It's a third, the right message to the right person and the right rhythm. It looks good, but it's not too fancy. So Word Sprint is our other sponsor and Bill Gilmer and his team will be happy to consult with you and help you create a program, even if you don't use them, to think about how do we continue the relationship with the people that have supported us and let them know what's happening with their money. And in the topic that we're talking about today, um, these, these, uh, these human traffic organizations are probably working overtime and sometimes they feel like they're not making a dent. So we need to, we need to rally and give them some energy. It's not just about money, it's time, it's talent and it's money. So it's time to rally and get going. So Mitzi, you've given me a lot of inspiration, a lot of facts, and I don't see how I can ignore this in my life anymore. What's it, do you wanna challenge people again or do you wanna leave people with a thought before we end this great podcast? I'd like to leave them with a thought that comes from my late husband, Frank Perdue. And it has to do with philanthropy. And this is something that guides my life. He said, if you want to be happy, think what you can do for somebody else. On the other hand, if you really want to be miserable, think what's owed to you. Profound words that live on. So uh, Mitzi Perdue, the gift of your time and wisdom and energy today. Um, we'll pay many dividends for many people. Thank you so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.